Welcome. Uh, so good to see you. I also want to say thanks to Andrew McKinney and Ben for leading us today. Garrett will be back with us next week. Thank you for being with us uh, for these two weeks, Andrew. Also, yes. Also, it's an important day for dads, so can we just acknowledge our dads, too? Uh, happy Father's Day. Some of you are out at brunch right now instead of church, and we'll forgive you for that. Uh, you know, one of the great things about dads is, uh, what? Dad jokes. Right? I mean, I know my kids love my dad jokes, uh, Anybody have a quick dad joke they want to share this morning? Uh, I actually happen to have some. Uh, anybody know what you call a deer with no eyes? No idea. Dad joke. Let me, uh, oh, I lost my, I lost my dad jokes. Uh, it, it went away. That was a good one. I got, you guys watching online won't be able to see this, uh, but here on the screens, here's another dad jokes. I want this t-shirt. It says, I tell dad jokes periodically. It's got the periodic sign there. That one you can't understand if you don't see it. Sorry about that. Uh, here's, here's one more, okay, because I know you guys want to use these. Uh, this one says, do not trust atoms. They make up everything. Okay. So my humor is not working uh, as always, so let's move on uh, to the Word of God. One other thing, uh, let me uh, also, a couple other things by the way of announcements. Uh, this Saturday, we have an opportunity um, to help uh, a dear lady in our church. Many of you know Deanna Sarsfield, who uh, when she is able is usually up here uh, oftentimes trying to help me preach. Uh, <clears throat> if you know Deanna, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Deanna is moving this coming Saturday, and I am trying to recruit not just dads, uh, moms, uh, ladies can be involved in this too, but especially dads. Uh, Deanna has box loads of, of stuff that we're going to move to her, her new place. And so if you are able to help, if you would just let me know, email me or info at centennialchurch.com uh, on Saturday morning. We'd love uh, as much help as we can. And uh, I'm sure that Stuart will bring donuts uh, or someone will. But anyway, please join us Saturday uh, morning if you can. Again, reach out to me if you want more details about there, there about that. Um, also, one other announcement I need to need to make, particularly as we're gathering uh, together here again in the building. Uh, another just kind of exciting thing we want to share with you, and also so you'll you'll know if you drive by the church on Saturdays. But um, because of uh, COVID, we have uh, allowed another church to begin meeting in our building on Saturday nights. Uh, their name is Redemption Church in Frisco. They've been meeting at a school. Uh, over on the, the west side of Frisco, but obviously uh, schools are not open yet, so we are letting Redemption Church use our building on Saturdays uh, for their service at 5.30. So if you happen to be driving by here on a Saturday evening, you're like, what's the car, what are all the cars there for? That's Redemption Church, okay? Hey! Hey, buddy! He walked in this morning uh, in the lobby and said, Happy Mother's Day! Offensive. Offensive. Um, where was I? 
Oh yeah, Redemption Church. So if you drive by, wonderful group of folks. Uh, so that's that's what's happening. So we now have a church using our building uh, on Saturday morning, Saturday evening, us on Sunday morning, and we have our Alex Ministry Indian Outreach uh, that will begin using our building again in August. So we have a stewardship here. Uh, in East Frisco, along Kuwait Road here that we uh, want to be faithful in and, and uh, wanted to bless uh, these folks. So I think that's all uh, for now. Um, sorry, kids, we're inside today. Uh, there's not many here, but uh, we'll do our outside activities uh, another week, Lord willing. Okay? Go ahead and open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Even if you're watching us online, get your Bible out so you can follow along with us as we continue here in our study. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, we're looking at the second half of it today, and we will, we will get there uh, in just a minute. But let me remind us this morning, last week I did a little activity up here at the beginning where I gave you some equations to quickly remember uh, kind of the themes of Colossians. So who can tell me, before we put it on the screen, the equation for Colossians chapter 1? Anybody remember? Scratch your heads, uh, pull it back from your head. Jesus plus nothing equals. That's right. Very good. I saw so many of you remembered that perfectly. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the theme of chapter one. Jesus is to be preeminent. That's the theme of this whole book, actually, of Colossians. Jesus is it. You need nothing uh, beyond Jesus, nothing less than Jesus, but Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is first thing. He's driving this point home. Colossians chapter 2 takes a little bit of a, a twist, and the equation that I gave you for Colossians chapter 2, anybody remember that one? Strict does not equal spiritual, okay? Strict does not equal spiritual, and that particularly the end of chapter 2, Paul is taking pains here to say, hey, there's some false teachers among you, and they're, they're saying, hey, you got to be circumcised, and you got to do these fasts, and you got to observe these special holidays, and, and they had this thing called asceticism, which is a big word, kids, but it basically means just treat your body kind of harshly and with severe, strict discipline, sometimes even cause pain. And, and Paul's writing to say, strict does not equal spiritual. Uh, conservative does not equal faithful. Strictness and discipline is, is not the call of Jesus. Yes, there's discipline involved, but, but these false teachers were kind of exalting human effort and, and, and a strict kind of uh, legalistic um, self-effort if you will. Okay, so that's Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 2. We've been in Colossians chapter 3, and Colossians chapter 3, I summarized how with what equation? <clears throat> Thank you. Grace does not equal apathy. So this is in contrast to chapter 2. So, hey, if it's not about being strict or extremely uh, ascetic in following Jesus, does that mean we just you know, sit back, kick back, and Jesus is going to take us to heaven. And the point in chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul makes, is that grace doesn't equal apathy. There are some things that we are to do. There is some obedience and commandments that we're supposed to follow. Now, in this particular passage today, we're going to see very clearly that Paul gives us motivation for those activities and those efforts. But grace 
does not equal apathy. In fact, I love the quote that just came to my mind right now by a guy named Dallas Willard, who says, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. There, there are things that, that we do in following Christ. There are spiritual disciplines in which we engage. And so we see that emphasis here in chapter 3, again, with the motivations that we'll see here in just a moment. Okay, so Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look today uh, at verses 12 through 17. 12 through 17, and let's go ahead and just read through the passage uh, uh, together and then we'll work through it. Okay, so I want to ask you again, uh, even if you're at home, go ahead and stand, if you will, in honor and respect of God's word and follow along with me uh, here beginning in verse 12, okay? Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Verse 16, <clears throat> excuse me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thank with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. I know uh, because some of you tell me it doesn't happen all the time, but it does uh, happen frequently that uh, a message will come up and you hear a sermon or you're reading a passage and it's like, that is exactly what I needed to hear. That is exactly what the Lord's been talking to me about. This is just so appropriate, so timely uh, for me today. And that happens uh, not every week, but often you tell me those kind of things as you give me feedback. And there are times for me as I'm reading uh, the scriptures and preparing that I'm like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what we need to hear right now at this point where we are as a church or where I am personally in my life. And that's the case uh, again this week. Last week, I felt it uh, as well as just all the things going on in our world. And, and as we come to these verses today, verses 12 through 17, I feel the same way. That Lord has, the Lord has given us these verses for this time specifically. And it was just rich for me as I was able to study it uh, uh, again this week. So the world is crazy. Is it not? The, the world is unhinged. I was talking with uh, some friends this morning before we started the, the service, and, and I heard this morning from my uh, friends in Oklahoma that last night in Oklahoma, not only was the president visiting, but uh, later that evening, they had an earthquake in Oklahoma. 4.2 uh, on the Richter scale earthquake. Uh, so, I mean, what more could happen in 2020, right? Besides a pandemic and riots and racial tension and earthquakes. Um, 
these are strange times. And yet, I want us to be encouraged today because, folks, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this kingdom. We have a kingdom that is coming. And that's a little bit what this passage is, is, is getting at this morning. But our, our hope uh, and the reason we don't have to be pessimistic, we do not have to uh, be just without uh, hope in this world is, is because Jesus has come and he is inaugurated and he is bringing a new kingdom. So what in the world does Colossians chapter 3 have to do with that? Well, let's look at it uh, again uh, here together. This passage uh, is not one that is extremely difficult to, uh, to understand. I, I don't think I have to spend a lot of time explaining to you what it means. What is difficult about it is to apply it, okay? It's right there on the surface, but to apply this is the difficulty. So let's just start there in verse 12. We're going to see this morning actions, motivations, and then applications, okay? Actions, motivations, and then applications. So beginning in verse 12, he says just these these three or four words here. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. And let me just start by emphasizing those first words for action, put on. Last week, the title of the message was put off. This week, the title of the message is put on. And he's going to get to the motivation. That's the the next words, put on then as God's chosen. So we'll get to the motivation in a moment, but right now he's talking about the actions and he says there's effort, there's um, virtues, and there's obedience uh, in this call. And so put on these things, the Apostle Paul is saying. And as I looked uh, this week, as I opened a commentary that I've been uh, using as we've gone through this study, a, a pastor by the name of Dick Lucas, look, listen to how he begins this section Uh, of Colossians chapter 3. These are the words of uh, Dick Lucas. He says, the new creation then is a society where the barriers that separate us from one another in this world are abolished. Here, there cannot be the deep divisions national and traditional, tribal and geographical, social and cultural that largely distinguish us from one another. It is a marvelous dream. It is a marvelous dream. He's talking here about Paul's words in Colossians chapter 3 and how it's the dream. It's the preview of the kingdom. It's this alternative community set uh, in a kingdom that's crazy is the church, this new kingdom community that is supposed to be about the virtues here of chapter three of Colossians. And so I want you to think as we go through this this morning, not just, these are not just commands given to us, but this is, this is a pattern. This is a model. This is a, a foretaste, a, a, an alternative way of living in a very broken world. Put on then. And what is the first thing he says to put on? He says to put on compassionate hearts. 
compassionate hearts. We need these words and we need compassionate hearts right now in 2020. Not pessimistic hearts, not fearful hearts, not angry hearts, but compassionate hearts. It was Jesus that the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9 describes as when he looked at the crowds, he had compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's hard sometimes to have compassion these days. I don't want to challenge us this morning. I know I've been talking both as we've gathered as well as online about the issues that are happening in our world, especially related to race and the social, ethnic, political dissension and divisiveness in our world right now. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, is a word for us to be compassionate. And I know, folks, that these things are complex. I know some of you are thinking, yes, Ross, I want to be compassionate towards those different than me, but think, what about this? And I just want to plead with you. I just, I just want to take you to Scripture this morning and say, look at what the Scriptures say. Compassionate hearts. I know that there are complex issues involved in the things that we face right now as a nation. And there's various levels to the troubles that we have, okay? And I just, but at its base level, it's kind of like this. There's, there's a personal level, and then there's kind of a, a political or a social level, and then, and then there's a, a theological level. And at, and at that like social political level, guess what? You, you and I can disagree as believers in Jesus about what should happen sociopolitically or systemically or policy changes that need to happen. You know what? I think Christians in good faith can, can differ in those areas of, of politics and social reform. And even in this area up here of, of theology, I think we can, we can disagree with one another on a the, theological level about, hey, how responsible am I? How tied am I to the sins of my ancestors? That's a, that's a theological question. It's kind of a, it's an important one to think about. I have some thoughts about that. But that's kind of the social, political, and the theological. But I just want us to, to hear this morning from Colossians chapter 3. At the personal level, Paul is just saying, have compassionate hearts. And when people are treated poorly, have compassion for them. Don't begin by saying, yeah, but, or roll out all these excuses. Just saying that there are people and there are groups of people in our country that are hurting and fearful and just have compassion. Have compassionate hearts. And when I say compassionate hearts, I, I mean obviously to our brothers and sisters of, of color. I also mean compassionate hearts toward the police who have an incredibly difficult task right now. Do they not? 
and to our civic and, and political leaders and business leaders that have business, business owners that have, have lost their livelihood, compassion. To people of color, compassion to our civic leaders that have such difficult decisions and responsibilities as they make decisions and form policy, compassion. That's clearly the, the first thing here he is saying. Put on hearts of compassion like Jesus. And that's the base of what I want to say personally. Let's be people of compassion. He goes on from compassion to the second thing, kindness. Boy, we don't need to talk about that virtue today, now do we? Wrong. Kindness. I mean, who, who would have thought a decade ago or years ago that kindness would just kind of be this radical thing. But we live in a very unkind, divided world and kindness is the kindness of Jesus. In fact, Romans says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so Jesus is telling us here, be kind like me. We live in a civilized world that has forgotten how to be civil. We can't even talk with one another without raising our voices and without ad hominem arguments and accusations and kindness. If believers, as, as, as believers in Jesus should, could just model a civility and a kindness, look at what an alternative community that could be like. Compassion, kindness, thirdly, humility. And I love how Liz prayed for us this morning. Right, at, It was just the Holy Spirit had put this together. Humility. The issues are complex. We don't know all the data. I saw this great post this week. I might butcher this, but it said... Uh, Hey, everybody, just remember your friends, you know, a month ago, they were, or a couple months ago, they were Supreme Court constitutional law experts. Then they were epidemiologist experts. And now they're, you know, race relations experts. Be gentle with them. They haven't had a day off in months. <laughs> now, God, forgive me. You know, we think that if everybody would just listen to me, things would be fine. I had a, had a friend, this was a long time ago, I uh, had a friend who, who told me, who rebuked me one time, and he said, Ross, you just, you just always think you're right. You just always think your opinion is right. And you know what my comeback to him was? My comeback to him was, well, why would I share my opinion if I think I'm wrong? not humble. We don't, there's a God who is omnipresent and omniscient and we're not him. 
We don't see all sides. We don't see all angles. We don't have all knowledge. We don't have all data. We're not everywhere. We haven't lived all places, all times. And so there, if there could just be this kind of humility that says, hey, here's what I think. And I don't think all things are relative, but I just, I'm pretty sure I don't have all the answers all the time. Boy, wouldn't that go a long way to say, you know, I, I have no idea about medicine. I have no idea about infectious diseases. I really don't know much about race relations. I, I haven't lived in your skin. I haven't lived in your world. Just some good old-fashioned humility. If there, were, if there was one person that didn't need to be humble as he walked this earth, it was Jesus. And the Savior that we worship, the Savior that we name, came in humility and humbled himself, the scriptures say, even to a cross, the cross of a criminal. Forgive me, God. Forgive us, God. We don't know it all. We don't have all the answers. We're not the answer to all the world's problems, if any. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. The next one is meekness. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means strength under control. Meekness. Compare these, if you will, and by the way, it's fascinating to me. Again, five attributes here. Remember last week we saw five commandments and then five things in verse five that had to do with immorality and then five things in verse eight. All those descriptions in verse 8 about anger and slander and wrath. Now, in these verses, Paul is contrasting them not with wrath and anger, but with kindness and humility and meekness. And the final one there, patience. And then he's going to expound on that patience. Anybody ever heard the guy who was praying really impatient and he was praying to God and he said, God, give me patience and give it to me now. Some of you are a little slow on the uptake uh, or maybe that's a dad joke and it's just not funny, but um, patience. First Corinthians 13, how does it begin in its description of love? Love is patient. And he goes on and he says, bearing with one another, Bearing with one another. Let me just go ahead and read it. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, if, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Why does the Apostle Paul say, hey, bear with one another, church? Colossians, this is his way of, this is ancient speak for tolerance, okay? Not, not modern or postmodern tolerance, but bear with one another. Why is he saying bear with one another? You know why? Because people are going to irritate you. He has to tell us to bear with one another because you're going to irritate me, Chiron. (laughs) 
Heather said, amen. If you listen on this. He has to tell us that we're going to need to bear with one another because we're going to get on each other's nerves. We're going to have different politics. We're going to have different preferences. We're going to speak things rudely. And he says, bear with one another and forgive one another if you have a complaint. Just be patient, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Do you see the repetitiveness there in verse 13? Is it verse 13? Put my glasses on. Uh, no, it's not in verse 13. Uh, forgiving each other. It is in verse 13. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Three times there in just that space. Forgive, forgive, forgive. The essence of grace, the essence of God's love for us shows itself how in our forgiveness. He goes on, verse 14. You've heard this one, you love this one. And above all these, the things he just mentioned, the five plus a little bit of explanation about patience, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. This word binds is the idea of, of clamping or fastening things together that formerly weren't together. Love brings people together that aren't the same, that are different. As we saw last week in verse 11, love binds things together that formerly had been apart and thereby bringing, I love the last word there, perf binds everything together in perfect harmony. I don't know anything about harmony because I can't sing, but let me give you an illustration. You know, my wife is, is a gifted singer and oftentimes she'll be listening to the radio and she'll begin harmonizing with the song. And it's just fascinating to me uh, as someone who has never been able to do that. How do you do that? Because what it sounds like to me is I just need to hit the note that's wrong and then somehow it'll match yours and it never really works out like that, does it? But harmony is this idea of different notes complementing one another. Help me out here, musicians. Complementing one another to bring about this fullness of beauty well, you're playing one thing, you're singing one thing, I'm singing the other thing, but there comes together not this uniformity, but this harmony where we're not singing the same note, but we're playing the same song and there's harmony in the diversity. That's what the church is supposed to be about. The world can't get this, this right. We see the evidence of that, but church, we are the preview and the foretaste of the new kingdom to come. And we ought to be the ones who get along with those different from us in harmony, bound together in love. I got to move on here. Verses 15 and 16. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. There's that idea of unity again. The peace of Christ in you were called in one body. And the peace of Christ there, which you may 
kind of by default think the peace of Christ is that, that thing in my heart that gives me peace. And there is a peace that comes through Jesus, Romans 5.1. We've been justified, therefore we have peace with God. But this peace is, is talking about a relational peace. We have peace in the body of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. We'll come back to that. Be thankful, okay? Repeated here also. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, again, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is he saying here? He's saying that the word of Christ is proclaimed not just from the pulpit, but the word of Christ is proclaimed through song. So when we get together as a body and we are worshiping, we are singing, we are teaching one another with the songs that we sing. The word of Christ is proclaimed from the pulpit, but it's also proclaimed through our singing and all these different types of songs. You see them listed there, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I don't have time to go into the way some commentators, you know, think about defining those different things, but they're different types of songs, which leads us to believe that there should also be this harmony and this diversity in the music that we sing but it's all for the point of, look at the, look at the end of verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, underline to God. Because whether you like psalms or whether you like hymns or whether you like the newest spiritual psalms, songs, when we come together, who are we making melody in our hearts to? Not to ourselves ultimately, but ultimately our worship is to God through song. So if I come in and there's a song that I don't like to sing or, oh, we've done this over and over, how many times? We're singing it not just so that you can get the, the fuzzy feeling, warm, tingly feeling, but we're ultimate, we are worshiping to God through the word of Christ, through songs of Christ, let me give you again from Dick Lucas, a gospel of grace, a gospel of grace, chapter one, verse six, must be echoed by songs of gratitude for grace. A gospel of grace must be echoed by songs of gratitude for grace. I'm out of time, so I got a truck. You can't hear these verses, these words, without thinking about the motivation for them. Again, as I said at the beginning, this is a pattern. This is a foretaste of what the church is supposed to be about, about how we are supposed to live as an alternative community in a broken community, a new kingdom in a broken kingdom. And so Paul just, he doesn't just give us a list of commands without a lot of motivation. So let me show you the motivation here from this passage. Go back to verse 12. First of all, we saw put on, but then he says, not just put on, but he says put on then, or you could say therefore. It's the same word that you see up in verse five, where it's translated therefore, put to death therefore. In verse 12, he says, put on therefore as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He is front-loading this whole thing with motivation about your new identity. 
And he's just said in the previous verse that, that here is not Greek or Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And I said last week that when we come to know Christ, our primary identity is no longer our gender or our sexuality or our race, but our primary identity is Christ. And if he is all and he is in all, then we have a unity, not on any of those secondary things of identity, but that primary identity in Christ. Therefore, live like this. And not just our identity as diverse people in the body, verse 11, but as chosen as God's chosen, holy, and beloved. And here again, Paul is he's front-loading that you live this way because you're God's chosen. He selected you. He, Jesus died on the cross, not just to make salvation available to you, but to secure it for you. He, he chose you before the foundation of the world. You are his beloved and set apart for him. Therefore, live in that way. That new kingdom way, you are motivated, number one, by a new identity. Secondly, by a new kingdom that is coming. Go back up to verses one through four, where he says, seek the things above, set your mind on things above. Why? Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's motivation, that Jesus is going to come again and glory. There's a new kingdom coming. And that is a motivation. First John says we are to be holy because Jesus is coming back in glory. That's motivation for holy living now. And then thirdly, new identity, new kingdom coming, and new gratitude. Over and over in this passage, we see be thankful. Spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Give thanks to God, the Father. And see, ultimately, this living out of the Christian life is, is a response of gratitude, of thankfulness to the grace of God. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You can summarize the Christian story just in three words, guilt, grace, gratitude. We were guilty we were given grace, now we live in gratitude and we live this new kind of kingdom life in a world that, def that so desperately needs to see this kind of living, this light in a dark world. So let me ask you in conclusion and application here. Grace does not equal apathy. Put on these things, build into your life these things. The thunder, we're, let's just all acknowledge, if you're listening, wow. The thunder is here. I think he's saying, wrap it up. And I got an amen. Confess, here we go. Bringing it home. Confess. Your, your lack of compassion for others. Right now, just bow your head and say, you know, I, I struggle with compassion for this person, for this type of person, for this group of people. Just confess your lack of passion, compassion.
Secondly, resist isolation. You know what? Our, we're getting more and more isolated, especially in this time. But the call of this passage is not to isolate, but to unite. We cannot obey Colossians chapter three unless we are living in community with other believers whom we have to forgive, whom we have to bear with. Confess your lack of compassion, resist isolation, and check your motivations. Remember your motivations. We do this because God has loved us first. God has shown compassion on us. He has humbled himself and come to us. So we live in gratitude to his grace. Father God, thank you that though the world shakes and though the world topples, we have a kingdom coming that is unshakable, that will last forever and that will be perfect. And Father, would you strengthen us to live as your new kingdom people in this world of difficulty and darkness. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to invite you, hopefully, as you came in, you got the communion elements here, and I want to encourage you to go ahead and just open it now as we celebrate the Lord's table together. There's two little pieces to open if you have not done this before, and the wafer is on top. I need a third hand to do this. Mm -hmm. So as we celebrate this morning at the table, let me read to you uh, these words of Jesus uh, from Matthew's gospel when he celebrated this last supper with his friends. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he finishes and says this, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, my Father's kingdom will come. And in my Father's kingdom, I will celebrate with you. I will be with you in a perfect kingdom. So folks, we do not have to fear. 
We do not have to worry. We do not have to be pessimistic because our hope is not this kingdom. Our hope is the the Father's kingdom. And we will be with Jesus. So, Father, again, we thank you for your great love for us and pray that you would help us to express that love and kindness to one another and to our broken world. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus and for his glory we pray.